Hello, Internet. The Morgan You Know Podcast Network presents Balls and Brew. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another flagship edition of the sports podcast here on the Morgan You Know Podcasting Network. I am Rod Morgan. We will be joined by a Morgan You Know Hall of Famer here in just a second, but I want to get a little housekeeping out of the way first. Jimmy Jamriska will not be leading the fast break this week. I will be leading the fast break with my running mate, Chris King from Wilmington, North Carolina. Chris, are you scared with me being point man on the fast break this week? There should be an old bag for you, Rod. I'm confident. That's right, but we have a Hall of Famer to help us out. We reach out numerous times during the basketball season, but this man is busy. He has many things to do, including being a Holy Cross priest. He is the director of campus ministry at the University of Notre Dame. He is a former boss of the Mrs. Morgan You Know. He is still a continued valued colleague of the Mrs. Morgan You Know. And above all else, for this podcast purposes, he is the number one Detroit basketball fan I know, Father Pete McCormick. Father Pete, hello. What's up, everybody? It's so good to be back. Thanks for the patience. Thanks for the persistence. Let me jump back on the pod. I'm pumped. Listen, anytime we can get the Hall of Famer, we will take the Hall of Famer. You told me that you'd be able to jump on before the finals. Here we are the night before the finals. We'll get to that matchup that has me left a little bit cold, but we'll get there. Father Pete, we got to start right here. Your Pistons on lottery night. Were you anticipating the first pick? Did you hope for miracles, or did you kind of know that your night was going to be a disappointment and you'd probably end up where you did at the fifth pick? What did you think? So, of course, I would love number one. I think Wembenyama is going to do really amazing things, although we could do a whole separate podcast on this. You know, like the history of that type of big guy is, is not always kind of a quote-unquote slam dunk. But regardless, I would have loved the number one pick. I would have loved the number two pick. Number five, it gets dicey. Um, this is, though, where I'm positive and optimistic. I think Troy Weaver, even though some like to criticize, I think the guy does really good research. And overall, you look at last year's draft and, and the kind of like the, the movements that he made in order to get the Pistons in the right spots. I'm confident that, you know, there might be some movement between, you know, three and five. We might be able to do a little wheeling and dealing there. Okay. Or we might just say we're comfortable at five and, and start to build out a, uh, around the nucleus that we already have. So um, it's not like the Detroit Pistons need any more centers. Lord knows we've collected <laughs> kind of the remnants of centers over the course of the past five years. So I'd love to see us get another guy who kind of plays in that three, four uh, range that could uh, do something really interesting for us. Yeah, quick reminder for uh, the folks out there that weren't paying attention to late stages Detroit basketball last year. Uh, Jameis, uh, what, what's his name, Chris? I always I want to say Jameis Winston. Why do I do this every time? Who's the guy Golden State traded over there? James uh, Wiseman. 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 See, I can conv- I could I confused you too there, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, you did. I wanted to keep saying Jameis Winston too. <laughs> uh, I do it every time. Yeah. So uh, James Wiseman, former number one pick up there in Detroit. Cade Cunningham, bit of an injury, maybe not that serious of an injury, and just kind of a sit down. We'd like to lose some basketball games injury, so we're looking for him to be back full force. Ivy looked really really well last year, so I think things look up for Detroit, even though. They have the fifth fifth pick, but uh, Chris, there's one other problem in Detroit though that they probably should solve before the season, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, there, there's a little problem there because I do think that the talent they're acquiring is pretty impressive so far, but they need to find a coach, Father Pete. 
And we know that they are still trying to woo Monty Williams. Is that who you would like to see as your coach, or would you prefer like a Kevin Ollie? I do not want Kevin Ollie at all. Um, Kevin Ollie was run out of UConn. I don't know why people have forgotten that, but he was. Um, he he well, won a Pete, title. That doesn't matter anymore. That doesn't matter anymore. Emo Udoka's in Houston. They trucked him out on lottery night. It, we don't even know what he did. It doesn't matter anymore. But he, by the sounds of it, had a rightful termination. And you can see in the NBA it's a winning league. It didn't take him long to get another job. It certainly you know? did not. But Ollie Williams, let's just go back and check the history book here. He wins on Calhoun's players. He kind of rides the coattail of, of Calhoun, wins one, and then largely when he's left to his own devices, flames out and leaves UConn. And then they become a dumpster fire forever and ever and ever until like the past couple of years, right? So listen, no disrespect to Coach Williams. I'm sure he's doing great in this kind of in-between space where he is right now um, and, and kind of coaching up and comers, but that does not mean that he'll be a great NBA coach. So I am not riding uh, the Ollie train. However, I am squarely on the Coach Williams train. A couple reasons. One, my guy, Notre Dame right. guy. Right. 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 Point that out. I am a little biased by that fact. But if you look at the man in terms of his story and the way that he has handled adversity and, and the character that he has, and frankly, he was done dirty in Phoenix. One, you're stuck with a bag of bones and Chris Paul who gets injured every playoffs. You can sure almost does. bank on it. But then, you know, you get another guy, regrettably, who's also a Michigan guy, comes in, wants to make a splash, goes out and gets, you know, the great Kevin Durant, who also at this point in his career is 34, 35 years old, very injury prone. Brutal. And they basically unload all of the assets, all of the supporting assets to a team. So it's like you got Book, you know, the skeleton of Chris Paul, and then Kevin Durant. And then no one else, uh, no one else. I mean, the three of us could, in effect, if we wanted to limber <laughs> up and, you know, help out the Suns. And then who becomes the bad man? But Monty Williams? Yeah. Whatever. Um, that was not his fault. I just think the guy is a winner. He's a man of deep character. He's going to form these guys in a meaningful way. So it's not a surprise to me that they're offering him something like $10 million a year to try to get him to come out and, and play. I, I'm sure Coach Williams might think to himself, it might be better to kind of wait a year and see what marquee team comes a calling because Lord knows they would. But I'm really hoping that he sees the potential that the Detroit roster has now and says, listen, I can get going now and, and I could be a part of bringing the Detroit fan base back to its feet um, and back to its glory. I would just love to see it. I think there's a couple things at play here, right? I think you point out the new owner syndrome. I think that's going on here for Monty Williams more than anything else. Because we got to remember before his time started in Phoenix, there was an absolute bidding war for his services then. The Lakers wanted him and he turned them down to take the Suns job. So this guy is a phenomenal coach under the Popovich tree. I would worry about this, Father Pete, a slight pushback, right? I'm the one guy yeah, who's going to go. push back to you a little bit here, right? Are we worried about the Wiseman situation with how things ended up with DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams, right? I mean, we got mercurial big men who maybe aren't reaching all their personality, maybe hard to reach. Are we are we a little worried about that? Or you don't even care really what you get out of Wiseman? I don't. I, I Frankly, bigs, and I'm grateful that no big is ever going to come after me in this way, but 
they're rim protectors, man. Like bigs are are running backs in the NFL. Um, they, they really aren't all that essential. You need one, and he needs to be able to get up and down the court. He needs to be a little bit of a threatening force in the in the lane. But come on, James Wiseman. And let's be honest, DeAndre Ayton. The only reason he's got juice is because he's a former number one. But then again, Wiseman was right up there as well. <laughs> So I don't know when these GMs are going to get smart and just say, you know, we're not going to draft a big, although we just talked about women. Yeah, this is why I'm a little leery about him. Um, But I don't know that I'd ever take a big in the top 10 because I just don't think in today's modern day NBA, they're great forces. Now I say this and you've got the Joker out there wheeling and dealing, but that guy's a unicorn more often than not. They're just not worth listen, yeah, a listen, top we'll 10 get, pick. Listen, the Joker will get his flowers, all right? We have plenty of time <laughs> to get to Joker. He's going to get his flowers there, all right? So, Chris, I know that we wanted to maybe uh, ask Father Pete one of his favorite stories from the past year. Will that be okay with you if we do one more diversion before we start these uh, these NBA finals? Because I know you are desperate to give all the love <laughs> to Jimmy Butler and Nikola Jokic. <laughs> yes, 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 because we – we our favorite story at the Morgan, you know, and the NBA Fast Break is what the Kings have done this year, and we have became the official. Uh, what is what, what do we call it? The official Midwestern we were, fan club for the Sacramento. North, just, <laughs> we were the official Sacramento Kings podcast of Northwest Indiana, right? Northwest we were Indiana. Indiana. <laughs> it was a real niche we were in there. <laughs> what, so, what was your favorite line? story? Uh, they would like they'd like the beam. Remember, every time they'd win, they'd like. That's the beam. what it was. That's exactly. I thought it was like the laser. I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. Laser beam. Um, my favorite NBA story from this past year. What was your What was your one thing where you're like, man, this is why this is why I love me some basketball. Man, that's a really great question. You know, uh, and you know what else too? I'll give you a little time to vamp in your thoughts here. I would also yeah, leave let me open think the on possibility. That. I would also leave open the possibility that you didn't have a great story from the regular season, and it's more something from the playoffs now because you could convince me that this past regular season we just had this year might be one of the most lethargic and lackluster we've had in a while because of so many people being hurt and so much tanking at the end of the year for Wembenyama slash playoff positioning. So you could go either right. way with it there, Father Pete. Right. What I think, I mean, in terms of a story that I that I've really enjoyed, and, and it, it actually segues nicely into um, the conversation we're going to have here is I read an article not too long ago on Eric Spolstra and uh, and Spolstra, like there's this kind of story that it was in the athletic shout out to the athletic. Um, they they're talking a little bit about the culture that that coach Spo has brought about who, by the way, attended the University of Portland, which is a sister school to Notre Dame. Really? Anyways, I, I digress. I yeah. Yeah. He's a UP grad. So, um, but the, the story is, is that he, um, he was kind of working with this guy who's kind of floating in this like G League level who would do like a 10-day contract with Miami and then bounce back down. Um, but Coach Spo walks in one day and normally those guys don't get a, a ton of time with the head coach. And Spo sits down with him and says, okay, listen, here's the deal. you got to hit 70% from three if you're practicing and no one's guarding you. You need to place that as an expectation. And at first he's looking at him like, you're freaking crazy. There's no way that's even possible. And then Spoh's like, listen, you're either going to do it or you're going to run. Um, or you're, you're never going to escape this like 10-day uh, contract business. And so all of a sudden, you know, like he realized, no, Coach Spoh's serious. He's not joking around. He's investing in me as a human being. 
Um, and so at first he doesn't think it's possible. So, so Spoh's literally got him like doing a set and then running and then doing another set and running. But each time what he begins to see is he gets higher and higher and closer and closer to 70%. When he hit the 70% number, it was, was not too long after that that he actually got like a full guarantee of being nice. in the NBA. And, and the, the guy talks about this, whose name I cannot remember, but he said, this is the nature of, of the heat culture. Spolstra is like always trying to create an environment where it's uber competitive, that he, he will not relent. And so whether it's LeBron James or a random G-leaguer, he's going to basically make sure that he's investing in these guys so that all of them embody this like uber super competitiveness. But at the same time where Spolstra is really great is that he'll send a little text later and be like, hey, man, really proud of, of the way you work today. So that guys know that not only is he going to hold him accountable, but that he also really cares. And I just think it's an awesome example of leadership of, of young men, but just what it means to be a person of integrity. So I think that's a story that I really appreciate about the NBA and the regular season, but certainly it's kind of bled right into the playoffs and we've seen it bear fruit. That's, you know, I wonder how much of that actually goes on with these NBA organizations, right? Because you hear so much about what a coach is, what a coach isn't, what they're supposed to do, how tough it is with these guys that make all the millions of dollars that there. But what I think your story speaks to right there is that's what gives birth to a Caleb Martin, a Max Struess, a exactly. uh, Alonzo Highsmith, right? And uh, Chris, I guess I'm not allowed to call them role players, according to Jimmy Butler, right? He had some thoughts on this too, didn't he? Yeah. So, and I kind of like, I love this about this, about Jimmy Butler coming out and saying this. He he was asked about those role players, and he's like, we don't have role players. I have teammates, and I love that attitude. And I know, Father yep. Pete, you have been around a lot of different basketball teams with Notre Dame over the years, and I wanted to ask you, have you noticed teams that have really embraced that teammate yeah. type thought process versus teams that maybe didn't. And did you see the teams that did embrace it perform better as the group versus the other teams? Yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly there's examples of this all throughout the course of my time with the team, but the, the team that embodied most what it meant to truly be a team was the 14, 15 squad that ultimately wins the ACC tournament championship. You know, if you, if you remember that particular team, and this is beginning to date myself, but the year previous, one of our key players, Jerry and Grant, um, was, was dismissed from the university right around um, the January break. Um, and it wasn't for anything scandalous. It just, you know, he needed to take a break and, and ultimately come back. Um, he then comes back, and there was some speculation at the time. Would he just kind of forget it and, uh, and instead go to the NBA? But his I remember father, that. I remember that. His father was Harvey Grant, who's um, uh, who played in the NBA for a really long time. His brother was perhaps more famous, Horace, who was on the three Bulls uh, championships in the early phases. How dare you slight so, his Orlando Magic time? Come on, Father. We all <laughs> remember right. him as that's an right. Orlando Magic, don't we? <laughs> that's right. So anyway, so Harvey says, listen, that's not going to happen. My son's going back to Notre Dame. So, so Jay comes back. Now this is the 14 into 15 season. And um, and him and Pat Connaughton. But then also there's this whole nucleus of guys, Bonzi Colson, Zach August, Demetrius Jackson. Um, there was just a sense like we're a team. We're a brotherhood. We care about each other. We're going to pick one another up. So we went from really doing quite poorly in the 13-14 season. This was the year that we – our first year in the ACC, by the way. So we did quite poorly. But there was a little bit of a kind of revenge tour 
And these guys were motivated by like, there is no one who's going to break us. We are, we are invested in one another and we are invested in one thing and that's getting a win. Um, and so like, you can go back and check the tape and the ACC championship game, we're playing North Carolina, basically in North Carolina's backyard. It is a home game for UNC. It's funny how that works yeah. out in the ACC tournament. All the time. Isn't it? it isn't it? Truly. Um, but like we're losing and this team just had a bend, don't break. And all of a sudden they just was like, Oh, we're going to kick it in the fifth gear. And before you know it, we're up by 10 and then by 12 and then we're cutting down nuts. So it was just this team that they, they sacrificed for each other in a real meaningful way. And to me, I can't help but think that there's elements of what we're seeing um, with the heat right now that was reflected back in the day. And, and the reason that there are elements that we see then and now is because they're the ones that work. It requires a ton of sacrifice. It, tons, it requires a ton of humility. And that's not always present in teams, especially today in the era of NIL or transfer portal talk or in the league when it comes to like, hey, who's got the biggest bags and who's got the highest amount of commercials and all that type of jazz. It, human nature can sometimes get to us and undo the thing that we would otherwise prefer. All right, Father Pete, I'm going to ask you a difficult question here because I'd like to ask yep. you difficult questions from time to time, yep. right? So then we just talked about how a team comes together and fights for one another and heat culture. And I think it's absolutely clear that the Miami Heat d- does that. That's how they fought yep. from an eight seed all the way to the NBA finals. The Celtics, I accused on this podcast last week of having absolutely no heart. And then they proceeded to turn around and win three straight games to force a game seven. But then they didn't show up again. Father Pete, how in the world could we possibly maybe explain what happened to Boston in game seven of that game? This is the only Celtics question I'm going to ask, by the way. And that's why I mean it's difficult because you certainly (laughs) have no idea. But your best guess. I, I think you have an established culture meets one that's just forming. And I'm going to tell you right now, Rod, you're not going to like this. The Celtics have the potential to move in the direction of the Suns here real fast. If they sign both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to these max deals, they're going to have nobody uh, to help support them. And I, I just don't Peyton know Pritchard. how in the modern You ready to play 30 minutes a game, my man, Peyton Pritchard? Come yeah. on up here. I just don't know how the Celtics are going to be successful. Now, they probably have a two-year window because the way I understand it, like, Jalen Brown is going to sign, you know, now. Um, and then Jason Tatum isn't going to sign for another year or two, whatever the case might be. But regardless, man, I, I, I think to myself, you have an established culture that has its point of emphasis placed on the right things. And you have a very young Celtics team in terms of kind of the, the core nucleus that is still trying to work things out. And I'll be fascinated to see kind of how uh, Joe, Maz- is it Mozilla? Mozilla. Um, does in terms of kind of blending all that. That that poor guy is the youngest coach in the NBA. If I were him this summer, I'd be hitting up Coach Spo and saying, you were once in my shoes. How did you do it? How did you think about it? What do you wish you would have known uh, when you were just getting started? Because I'm, I'm sure he's a really good coach, but he just got out coached. And, Are we and, sure? Um, Are we sure? Are we positive? Are we 100% positive Joey Vaz is a good coach? I don't know. Listen, I don't know the guy, but here's what I will say. The president, Brad Stevens, is going to have to figure out a whole lot of stuff with the Boston Celtics. We'll have plenty of time to chop up the Celtics and many other crazy moves that will happen in the off season. But I can see Chris, he's giving me the wave at home. So he's like a third base coach at this point. He's giving me the wave and inside. He wants to give all love to the Denver <laughs> Nuggets. So Chris, go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. Start us off here. What do we, what do we want to what do we want to talk about first for the NBA Finals preview? Well, I guess the biggest question and what I have 
still not sure how it's going to happen is how does Miami play defense against this Nuggets team? This Nuggets team is is about the best efficient offensive team I've seen in a long time. That's a long time. You go way back, my friend. We all know that you go as far back as the Hickory basket. So we're talking about something here. And and I just as as much defense and as great a defense that I saw in the Eastern Conference playoffs by Miami, I don't know how they're going to get the matchups they need or or what their strategy is even going to be on defense. Do you allow Jokic to get what he wants and and make sure no one else is there to support him? Or are you trying to zone it up again? I know they've tried that in the past, but Denver has torched them when they did that. I think that's the biggest key to this finals. I think Denver's clearly the favorite. I just think if Miami can figure out a way to slow that offense down, they may have a chance at some games. All right, so I said, Chris, give all love to Denver, and you talked about how you wonder if Miami can play good enough defense on them. You That's listen, you never cease to amaze me, my friend. <laughs> Denver's that good. I mean, I hate to say it, but when you have a guy like Jokic who can essentially do whatever he wants from twenty-four to fifteen foot and deliver crisp passes everywhere, it makes it very difficult when you don't have a really really big man in the center i know bam is you know the miami's rim protector but he is three inches shorter and 30 pound lighter than Jokic. and Jokic let's truck to... let's truck cody zeller's bald ass out there take up a couple of fouls <laughs> on Jokic out there all right let's get let's get let's get cody out there with this freaking horseshoe making all any any look bad going bald sitting on the miami heat sidelines come on cody just shave it down my friend just shave it down, right? Go like Alex Caruso up in Chicago <laughs> and a few others out there that have shown you the way, all right? It's time to just go all ball Cody. We've talked about this before. All right, here's what I want to say about the Denver Nuggets. All love to Mike Malone. That's where I'm going to go here, all right? As much trash as I just talked about Joey Maz and as much as I'm not going to cry about the Celtics firing him, I think there's something to be said for sticking with the guy, all right? There's some lean times in Denver. They had a couple of playoff losses. They could have easily freaked out, pinned it on Mike Malone. They let him stick around. He's a bit of a hard-nosed guy himself. He coaches this team hard. Chris, you asked the question about what Miami does on defense. I say let Jokic get 50. That's what you do. You do exactly that. We've talked about it so many times with other stars in the past, but Jokic can get gassed by the fourth quarter if he's taking that many shots, still dishing out 11 assists, grabbing 14 rebounds. If you have Jokic gassed by the fourth quarter, Miami has shown that they are lights out in pressure situations. So that's what I would say. Father Pete, what do you see? You know what? I I think that that's really interesting. I heard a stat today that said that Miami – has won the past six game ones of any given series that they've been in. So I, I think that what's really possible here is that Miami comes in um, because, interestingly enough, Denver's been all rusty as all hell, and uh, and Miami can come in and disrupt them a little bit. And then, to me, it becomes a game of kind of adjustments. How does how does how does Denver have to adjust to Miami and and what they're trying to to do, uh, and can they overcome? the nervousness of being on as big of a stage as they are. Cause we can't forget that Miami was in this situ- situation with elements of this core uh, just a couple of years ago in the bubble. So meanwhile, Denver's never been there. So there's all this hoopla and everything else. And um, I just wonder like when you get a stage uh, as bright as this, um, 
it's really interesting to me to see how, how teams handle it. And so, yeah, on paper, we look at what Denver did in the regular season and, and frankly, what they've done in the playoffs. But it should be pointed out that I think in terms of like roads to the finals, um, Denver's had the easier path. I, I don't think that it's fair to argue that um, that Miami has had somehow an easier – every team's you know been a higher seed than them, but they've had to pick off like what, one, two – and three? Is that accurate? Yeah. Am I doing that right? No, the Knicks so, are a little higher than the three seed, but so anyways, so I can't help but think to myself that um Miami's in a really great situation to be able to compete. Uh, and I do think interestingly enough that they're gonna be the ones who set the tone because they've been playing so much more regularly, and Denver's gonna have to get up to speed with them pretty quickly. And Denver's had like seven games off, and it's gonna be interesting to see an absolute chess match between two coaches at the top of their game versus what we just saw in the Eastern Conference Final and then even the Western Conference Final, right? Darvin Ham acquitted himself pretty well, but there were times where he just got outcoached by Malone, a guy whose dad was an NBA coach, a guy who's been in the league for 20 years, and he's been a head coach of the Nuggets now and a head coach of the Kings before. And so you're going to see an absolute masterclass in coaching there. Jimmy Butler's going to do Jimmy Butler things. Jokic is going to do Jokic things. Jamal Murray is going to do Jamal Murray things. So I think the series ultimately comes down to Miami's rotating cast of teammates. Chris, do you see what I did there? I love so who, it. who are you looking for to step up most for Miami to have a chance in the series? Because we know Jimmy Butler is going to come to play. Yeah, I think I think Bam needs to come out and be consistent night in, night out. I think there was some lack of urgency from his, on him on the defensive side of the court during those three games that Boston won. You're being so generous there. I Bam, know. Bam is trash. Bam is trash, dude. When he's not allowed to just throw guys around, when he can't just chicken wing dudes on offense and defense and they start calling him, Bam's got nothing. He's got absolutely nothing when they're not letting him play rugby down there. I am over Bam Adebayo. The one thing that Miami does really good, though, too, is they don't have to rely on just one or two other guys as long as a few of them show up that game, whether it's Vincent, whether it's Martin, whether it's my guy, Kyle Duncan Lowry. Robinson. my guy, yeah. Duncan Robinson, come on. We got to shout out the white boy shooters. <laughs> or even if it's Kyle Lowry, who shows up for a game. Let's I mean, not, let's not. They, we don't want, we don't want the Kyle Lowry game, Chris, the Kyle Lowry games are not fun, <laughs> but they, that's what they do. They doesn't have to be one guy. And we talked about it before with, with the Kings early on in the year, they have that same type of, of, of bench guys or teammates that can come in. Uh, the Lakers have that same type of effect, especially during the playoffs where it was the next guy up. I think that's what's key to Miami. I do think that Miami is going to have an issue with that starting five from Denver. You have Aaron Gordon, you have Michael Porter. Those are big, lanky guys. It's going to present a lot of different matchup scenarios and issues that Miami is going to have to deal with. I mean, Denver, Denver is a complete NBA team and Miami is one of the best teams we've seen play together in a while. This is going to, should be a great finals, but I do think Miami's still outclassed a little bit. I think something else that's working against Denver here is we so often will hear of their home field advantage, the mile high altitude and all of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, they're dealing with a team in the heat here who are maybe a little tired, yes, but I mean, at the top of conditioning because of all the games they played, and that's the Miami Heat culture, right? There's like body fat clauses in their contracts, and Father Pete talked about how they have to run if they're not hitting 70% of their shots, so these guys are going to be physically fit, and I don't think we're going to see much breaking down out of the heat, and I think that's something the Nuggets 
rely on there. But Chris, I like that you brought up Porter and Gordon. I mean, Father Pete, if we hear the names Gordon or Porter quite a bit, I'd say the Nuggets are going to be rolling, no? Right? Because if those guys Agreed. are to the point of where we get to talk about them, that probably means good things for Denver. Right. Totally agree. And the funny thing is, is, you know, Michael Porter Jr., the only reason Denver hasn't is because he fell due to a back issue in the draft. And so, like, that guy should have gone top five right there. And then Aaron Gordon, they got him in a fire sale coming out of Orlando. So those are two guys who play role uh, kind of <laughs> parts with it when it comes to Denver. And at the same time, on other teams, they could they could be important pieces. On other teams, those guys could be important pieces. They're going to want some money at some point. Maybe guys are going to get angry there at Denver. They've been building for a couple of years to this point. Be interesting to see where it goes for them in the offseason if they don't win or if they just try to load up San Antonio Spurs style and come back one more time. I imagine we'll still be able to talk about this NBA Finals the next time we are back to podcast. But Chris, just in case we are not, is there is there is there one more thing you need to say about the NBA Finals before we get ready to close up shop here with the Hall of Famer, Father Pete McCormick? <laughs> um, one last question. Do you think Tyler, Tyler Harrow coming back would change anything in this series or do you think it's going to be – just not enough for Miami, or do you think that that's what can push them over the edge getting one of their starters back? My thought on Hero is, is that I never really trust a guy who's been out injured for a period of time. Now, I know he went out in the first round, something like that. So, um, he's first not game, been out. I think. I think it was the first game they played. Is that in the first round, first game he goes yeah, out? Yeah, first round, first. Not, not the play-in games, but yeah, first game versus Milwaukee, he got injured. Yeah, so, you know, he's he's such a lethal shooter. The, the guy who probably gets pinched on this one is Duncan Robinson, right? I mean, Hero can probably defend just a little bit better than Robinson can, but the the way the Heat play, man, they just they slap those guys in. I mean, Jimmy Butler is the heart and soul of that team, and if uh, if Jimmy welcomes a guy back, I think it's going to be good in the hood. So I'm, I'm very confident that there will be minor disruptions with Hero returning and probably uh, mostly a benefit. Chris, I bet you if Hero does come back, and that's a good point, that he definitely, and then Spolster was asked about it at the press conference today, and he said there's numerous things that he needs to do before he comes back. And Spoh's just too well-respected and too solid to bring that guy back if it's going to hurt the team. And I think Father Pete touched on it a little bit there. They've actually played better defense without having to worry about hiding Hero because every guy that they truck in other than Duncan Robinson is a bit of a tenacious defender. You know, a la your Gabe Vincents, your High Smiths, your, uh, you know, your Caleb Martins. These guys are out there fighting. Your Bam Adebayo throwing chicken wings at everybody everywhere. <laughs> the slander's never going to stop, is it, Rod? Listen, wouldn't you guys rather I slander Bam Adebayo than uh, Bam Adebayo, Bam Adebayo, and then Joker the whole uh, playoff? <laughs> you're not going to get as much much pushback if you're slamming Bam over Joker. You'll get so. That's true. Listen, I'm going to get some pushback anyway, all right? Hit us up on our social media platforms. All right. You can contact us on Twitter. We're there. We're on Facebook. Find us there. Tell your friends about the podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Listen in. We appreciate it. Jimmy is going to be back with us next week. Chris will be back with us again. And Father Pete, I can't thank you enough for coming back to the podcast where you've been inducted as a Hall of Famer. We thank you so much. Hey, it's an honor every time. And uh, so grateful just to be a part of the convo, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, listen, you make us smarter every time you come on, so we are better for it. We thank you. Facts. and uh, That's right. And, Chris, I believe uh, we uh, we have some wrestling thoughts for the people that they can check out in the other podcast in this feed, right? That's something yeah. that we got for the people. Yeah. Check out Yeah, We Know. We go over uh, the latest premium live event and talk about some up-and-coming mid-card guys.
Yes, that was a that was a nice fun conversation. Check that one out. It's right here in this feed as well. So until we come back to you in podcast land next time, this is Rod saying goodbye. And now it's time for Chris to actually officially end the podcast. Goodbye, Internet.